Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, News 95.5 AM 750 WSB, the phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. The president has walked out of a meeting with the Democrats. Um, They are not really able to come to terms. The Democrats want the government reopened. Uh, and flat out do not want to do anything to get the border secure. Um, And the president, meanwhile, says he's not going to negotiate at all to reopen the government until the border is secure. Um, So I I think we're going to see a government shutdown that is in the record books as the longest. Um, And what I mean by that is that the Bill Clinton shut down with the Republicans, and I think it was 96, maybe it was 98, I think 96, though. Uh, the Republicans kept, yeah, it was 96. They kept the government shut down for over 21 days, I think right at 21 days. And the this shutdown will extend beyond 21 days uh, as of Friday. If I sounded distracted, it, I was. I was trying to get something set up, and my computer's been acting up, but now I can do this. Um, the big concern is that Republicans in Congress are going to go wobbly and sell out the president. Uh, I actually, y'all, I have had a surreal day today, and I cannot tell you about my day. Um, I, I, I will say I have advised certain people in the White House that I would be supporting the president on this issue. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. It was a surreal day, y'all. Um, but one of the things I said I was going to do is this, the Action Center at the Resurgent. Republicans are worried that Republican members of Congress may go wobbly on the wall and sell out the president and come up with a shutdown package uh, with the Democrats that does not include money for the wall. Uh, We've got to make sure these Republicans find their spines and stand with the president. If you text the word border to 52886. I'm streaming this live across the internets across the country. Uh, So it's not just people here in Georgia. Text the word border to 52886 and you will be able to generate emails and tweets to your member of Congress and two senators telling them to stand with the president and do not cave to the Democrats. This is the Democratic strategy at this point. The Democrats are hoping that this will become painful enough for Republicans that Republicans in Congress will cave. They've given up on the president. They don't believe the president cares and they're trying to woo members of Congress. Cory Gardner, the senator from Colorado, has come out and said that this needs to be reopened uh, without a, without funding the border. Uh, Rob Portman from Ohio, who the president thinks has his back, has authored legislation that would prevent further government shutdowns in the future. The president is going to get sold out by Republicans in Congress unless the Republican grassroots really make it clear to Republicans in Congress they need to have the president's back. Now, what's so interesting and what came to light today is that the $5.4 billion the president wants and that he asked for last night to the nation is not just to build more wall. The wall itself that the president would build is only 234 miles long. Uh, an additional 234 miles. Now, Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama both added portions to the border wall. It was a fence. When the illegal immigrants began climbing the fence, it was upgraded into a wall. And again, Clinton, Bush, and Obama, all three of them, appropriated funds with the help of Congress and built portions of the wall. Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer did not think it was immoral. They did not think it was racist. They were willing to vote to extend the border wall. The president wants to extend 234 more miles. 
the areas in particular the president wants to extend it through is the biggest border crossings come in areas that are uh, connected. Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California populations are connected into cities in Mexico. It makes it very easy to cross the border. They want to further secure those areas. There are areas where the president's team, the president's rhetoric doesn't really acknowledge this, but the president's team does. There are parts of the border where a wall is not needed. Uh, those areas can be secured by other means. It's very difficult to cross. Uh, you're 30, 40 miles from highways. It becomes very difficult uh, to get people through those areas. There are surveillance and, and other Border Patrol means to be able to secure those areas without walls. The walls are needed in the urban suburban areas where it's easier to cross into the United States. The president's $5.4 billion, though, does more than that. It expands border facilities for asylum seekers. It expands the number of beds available for those facilities. It upgrades those facilities. It adds to the number of, of judges who are processing asylum claims. It adds staff to help the judges. It adds more Border Patrol agents. It adds more ICE agents. All of these things are part of the president's package. The Democrats publicly have been saying that they support all of this stuff, but privately, the Democrats have apparently been saying no to all of this. And we know this now from Mark Short, the president's former advisor, went on CNN this morning with Allison Camerata and pointed that out. This is some amazing audio. Okay, I need to play this audio for you. This is Mark Short. This is the president's former advisor. He went on CNN with Allison Camerata talking about publicly the Democrats are saying they support the things the president is proposing. Privately, though, the Democrats are behind closed doors rejecting them. Listen to this. So, Mark, it was funny last night, the president, you know, the president's broken his promise that Mexico would pay for the wall. Okay, so that's over. Uh, people, he doesn't really talk about that anymore. Last night, he said the wall will pay for itself, which I thought was a funny pivot away. And so, again, today, with those Senate Republicans who are getting uncomfortable with the government being shut down, will they move off of the wall? Will they start to finally talk about all of this bigger uh, plan proposal? I, I, well, look, I certainly hope they do, Allison. Um, yesterday when you were on the show, we talked about the fact that, that the administration has asked for more judges and has asked for more ICE agents and has asked for additional resources that haven't been provided. And that is, that is the broader message I think he made. And, you know, uh, in all candor, last night when I was watching the post-speech coverage from CNN, they were saying these are all things that Democrats support, and that's patently false. It's patently false. I was in the room when we asked for more judges and Democrats said no. I was in the room when we asked for more ICE agents. This was before Democrats in the midterm decided that they wanted to abolish ICE. And they said no. I was in the room when we asked for more detention beds. And Democrats said no. So, yes, they supported him before Trump was president, but they've opposed every element of that. And that is the broader border security message the president should be giving. And I was glad he did it last night. I do think that at this point, the two sides are pretty well entrenched. And so I'm not sure it's going to change any votes in the Senate right now. I think that's a really good point from short that these are all things the Democrats supported. The Democrats were willing to fund a wall with Bill Clinton. They were willing to fund a wall with George W. Bush. They were willing to fund a wall with Barack Obama. Now suddenly they're accusing it of, of being a racist plot. It's just a secure border. By the way, there's some data out there. My, my buddy Jerry Dunleavy, he researched the data, and I want to give you the data. You know, I got to tell you, even the ABC News analysis after we aired the president's speech last night, I was a little bit put off by it uh, because they were so eager to fact check the president, major news networks, major news networks were going neener, neener. He's a liar. I mean, for example, the president last night highlighted the amount of heroin that has been seized uh, at the border. And the media rushed out and said, wait, 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 wait. 80% of this was seized at 
checkpoints. Yeah, so 20% of it wasn't. In 2017, 71,677 pounds of cocaine were seized by Customs and Border Protection. 62,331 pounds, or 87% of cocaine, was seized at ports of points of entry. But 9,346 pounds, or 13% of the cocaine seized, came from the Border Patrol, patrolling the unfenced portions of the border. 953 pounds of heroin, or 20% that came across and was seized, was seized by the Border Patrol. Not at points of entry, but along the unsecured border. Get this, 71% of the marijuana seized along the border came in the unsecured portions patrolled by the Border Patrol agent. That amounts to 861,231 pounds of marijuana. And then 17% of the methamphetamine seized by the Border Patrol came from the unsecured portions, not from the points of entry. That's 10,328 pounds. And what about the fentanyl? 181 pounds, 13% was seized by the Border Patrol. And we don't know how much else there is. That's what the Border Patrol was able to seize in patrolling the unsecured portions of the border. And yet that much still came through and was seized. How much more got through, we don't know. Securing the border makes sense. That it has become a partisan issue is indicative of how politicized everything has become in the age of Donald Trump. He made a reasonable proposal last night that Democrats don't accept securing the border as reasonable is somewhat insane. In fact, you had Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on MSNBC last night saying, in addition to it being racist, apparently, to secure the border, we need to get rid of ICE. Yes, that's right. The Democratic, the face of the Democratic Party wants to get rid of immigration and customs enforcement altogether. That, my friends, that's insane. I'm increasingly uncomfortable with the level of information that various companies can get from you uh, by just your web traffic, uh, whether it's social media companies, whether it's your internet service provider or what have you. You know, if, for example, my mother-in-law tells the story, she was flying back from California, she ordered a cheese plate on the flight from Los Angeles back to Atlanta. And now on Facebook, she sees these ads all the time from the cheese manufacturer that made the cheese plate that she bought on the airplane. It really creeped her out. The best way to get around being tracked by social media sites, marketing companies, your mobile and internet provider is to get a secure VPN. And you can take your privacy back by using ExpressVPN. It's easy to use apps. They integrate seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Makes it safe to go online without everybody snooping. So to protect your online privacy today, your online activity online, find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, for three months free with a one-year package. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Welcome back. It's 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. To the phones we go. Nico in Myrtle Beach. You're going to be up first tonight. Welcome to the program. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I just have a quick uh, question for you. Like, what, what would you say would be the best deal out of this whole, excuse me, border wall shutdown situation? I feel like both sides aren't going to give... And I feel like they should both go bold. Why don't both sides 
just give each other what they want. Like, really quick example, that the Dems would get DACA citizenship, let them legalize the 11 million here that are nonviolent, and then give them some ports of entry funding. On our side, we get $25 billion border security, including a wall, mayor-based system, Cape's Law. I feel like there's a lot of stuff that we're not thinking about that if we just all go bold, excuse me, that maybe we can change the uh, the dynamic of the, Look, the negotiations I, here. I think that this is the deal that the president and the Democrats agreed to in February, and that's one reason the Democrats, frankly, are, are not willing to give an inch this time is they feel like he threw them under the bus last time. I think they need to go back to that. I'm, I'm not sure about going all the way to citizenship. I think the president's base could revolt, but allowing the DACA recipients to stay here without threat of deportation, I think, is a fair trade to get the border secure. What I really think, though, is that unless we're willing to get the border secured altogether— then the Republicans are never going to want to deal with the DACA-DAPA situation, the parents of the kids and the, and the dreamers themselves. And we're going to have to do something along those lines ultimately. But if we're not securing the border, I mean, my big fear is if we go back to a comprehensive immigration reform era, one of the Republican grievances about it, one of my grievances about it, was that if you go down this road and you haven't secured the border, we're going to have a flood of people come through and a bunch of forged documentation to claim they've been here the whole time. So if we go, if we instead go on and secure the border, allow the dreamers, we know who they are. They, they Remember, under the original Obama order, they all had to fill out paperwork to begin with. So we know who those people are. We don't have to add anybody to the list. So secure the border now, allow those people to stay without threat of deportation. And, you know, I, I do personally favor if they get a college degree or they join the military, give them citizenship if they haven't committed a felony. I think that's a reasonable trade-off here. And if they would sit in a room and be willing to do this, listen, the Democrats were willing to secure the border when Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama were president. The only reason they're not willing to secure the border now is because they think if they can get Donald Trump to cave, that it will hurt him with his base in 2020. I mean, they really do believe this. I've heard it from Democrats myself. They want to break the president on this issue, and he's going to have to stand firm, and he's going to have to have Republicans in Congress stand firm with him. That's why I think you need to make sure your member of Congress, wherever you are in the country, knows that you support the president on this issue. And it doesn't matter whether you're represented by a Democrat or not. They need to know you support the president because they're hearing in the media the president's base is going wobbly and Republicans themselves are going wobbly. And the only way to push back against that is to prove to them. That's why if you will text the word border to 52886, uh, you can get into the Resurgence Activism Center and generate emails and tweets to your members of Congress and senators saying, uh, we stand with the president on this issue. The, the media has been really complicit in helping the Democrats on this issue. Look at the pushback they gave on the president last night. Uh, first of all, the president talked about uh, rich people build walls around their houses, not because they hate the people on the outside, but because they love the people on the inside and want to keep them safe. The immediate meteor spin was, oh, this was a slight on Barack Obama. No, he, he was making a point about rich people. What He didn't mention the Obamas. He had previously, and that's why they were able to jump to this, oh, he's attacking Obama. That, but it's not true. It's not true. All he said was rich people. And he's right. And then they wanted to push back on the drug seized. And then they cited the border and, and, and the, the points of entry and how much was actually seized. There There's still a ton of drugs seized by Border Patrol agents coming across the unsecured portions of the border. And they wanted to obfuscate that issue. The media is complicit with the Democrats in this. And Republicans need to push back. More of this in your calls. More facts when we come back.
It's 37 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. It really is amazing last night that the president was giving his speech, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi giving their speech, and you had Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on MSNBC completely undermining the Democrat message. She wants to abolish ICE, wants to stop funding ICE wants to raise the income tax to 70%. So, ah, man, I I hate to do this, but I need to do this. You know what the Overton window is? The reason that I hate talking about the Overton window is because I really got tired of eight years of conservatives calling this program, uh, saying that Barack Obama was um, using, oh, I've repressed it now. It just, it, it tired me so much. The the book, you know, Rules for Radicals, that's it, um, summoned up from a dark recess of my mind. And everything, oh, it's Rules for Radicals. It's really, everything he's doing is Rules for Radicals. <gasps> Barack Obama wiped his backside. It was Rules for Radicals. He turned the toilet paper so it pulls from underneath. It was Rules for Radicals. Everything was blamed on Rules for Radicals. Anything Barack Obama did was Rules for Radicals. It was It was just, it was ridiculous. Um there are other reasons Barack Obama did things than rules for radicals. Um, but we do need to talk about the Overton window. And I, so I'm hesitant to talk about it because that is is part of the whole rules for radicals things. Essentially, Jesse Helms, let's use a conservative example here. Jesse Helms was a good example of the Overton window. Jesse Helms believed that as long as he planted his flag as far right as possible on an issue, that it would make it reasonable for Republicans to stake out a position close to him while saying, oh, no, I don't I don't agree with that guy. I just want to be here instead as I knock stuff over on my desk. And that's what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is doing here. It, it is actually a, a willful strategy on the part of certain Democrats now to throw out these outrageous examples and plant their flag here, get rid of ICE and a 70% income tax rate. So that other Democrats can say, I don't really want to go that far. I want a 50%. I want a 45% income tax rate. Or I don't want to abolish ICE, but I want to loosen the borders. So you're pointing at her who is, she's totally secure in her position where she is. And she's getting huge amounts of media attention. And so everybody can say, look, I think she's too radical, but I do think we need to head in her direction. And makes it comfortable for Democrats to stake out otherwise extreme positions. And what they're doing is it's called the Overton window. And you're shifting the Overton window of what's within reason. And when it shifts in their direction, what happens is you find that the people who favor flat taxes or fair taxes or low tax rates, they're outside that window. Within the Overton window is considered the acceptable bounds of conversation. The acceptable bounds of what is acceptable in polite conversation. This, by the way, is also what's happening with Christians in America and around the world right now when it comes to homosexuality, gay marriage, transgenderism. You've got a movement at uh, the University of Oxford to get rid of a professor emeritus who's uh, open openly avowed Christian who believes in biblical orthodoxy when it comes to sexuality. They're trying to get him out of there. And they're actually being very upfront about it, that it's not really about him. It's about the professors who come after him, uh, these student radicals uh, trying to intimidate them and to not being open about their Christian faith so that once nobody talks about it anymore, people can say, yeah, that's not really what Christianity believes. It's the same thing happening in this country. It, it's harder and harder now 
to have a public job, to be in the public eye and not embrace gay marriage um, or to say that homosexuality is a sin or, frankly, more and more to, to even accept traditional scientific norms on transgenderism. If you think it's a mental health issue, well, more and more you're going to find people trying to drive you out of polite society. And it all goes to this trying to shift the Overton window, trying to make traditional belief uh, outside the bounds of acceptable conduct and acceptable statements and, and move the window in a different direction. It's about silencing other people. It's about making their ideas unacceptable. So whether you see it in the culture war issues uh, against Christians in the public square or whether you see it in economics now, this is something the Democrats are intentionally deploying, trying to make long-held views that no one thought were, were sane, trying to make those crazy views sound sane and the sane views sound insane. It's what they're doing. But this doesn't help the Democrats in the present fight. Having Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on MSNBC saying abolish ICE, that's not a position anyone in the mainstream agrees with right now. And the Democrats don't need to be worried about the long game right now. They need to be worried about the year-and-a-half, two-year game of 2020 where they're trying to beat the president. And running in 2020, trying to get suburban voters who voted for Trump and then voted Democrat in the off-year election to stick with the Democrats when they're trying to raise the income tax rate to 70% and get rid of immigration and customs enforcement is kind of insane. It's not going to play well long-term for the Democrats. It's not going to play well short-term for the Democrats. Uh, listen, here's the thing I think people don't understand, and I forget my apologies. Someone pointed this out earlier. It is a very, very legitimate point. If you raise the income tax rate to 70%, the multimillionaires and billionaires that Ocasio-Cortez wants to target, they don't pay the income tax. They sell stock and they pay a capital gains tax. So the people who are actually going to be hurt are those rich white liberals in suburbs, the doctors and lawyers who have suddenly begun voting for the Democrats. It's not the Warren Buffetts and the Bill Gateses and the Hollywood actors and actresses who are going to be hurt by the raising the tax rate to 70%. It's going to be the professional suburban voters. They're going to get hurt. The Democrats perfectly happy to blow up their own constituency there. And thankfully, Republicans aren't going to let them happen. But are these people really going to vote against their self-interest in 2020, knowing the Democrats want to jack up their taxes? I have a hard time believing that. Listen, I, I, I want to play. I want to go back to some of the audio from last night. Oh, what on earth? Wow. Left the speaker on on the phone today. I've been, as an aside, let me deviate from what I was going to talk about. Those of you who are watching the live stream, this is a phone. And this phone has been inundated with telemarketers. I'm on the do not call list. I don't understand that they call my cell phone. We, we actually have a landline phone at our house. We have to have one for um, various reasons. And they call my cell phone. They called my cell phone earlier. They, they called my land. How can telecom companies not root out the spam callers? The, hello, this is Vicky. We're calling to tell you about the timeshare that you want. Or the one I got earlier today, uh, which was a spam telemarketer about the extended warranty on my vehicle. We would like to talk to you about the extended warranty on your vehicle. No. And then, of course, the bank had to call me because someone stole my credit card number. Again, this happens all the time. But it, it just it seems to me like in the 21st century, we've degraded the quality of a phone call. It's one reason why I like to keep a landline phone, among other reasons we have to, is that when I do phone interviews, the, land, the quality of landline sounds better than a cell phone. 
not every not every cell phone has rolled over to HD uh, quality. But the number of telemarketers who inundate me with phone calls on a daily basis, even though I'm on the do not call list, is is insane. And you would think that telemark the telephone companies would be able to figure out these calls and would be able to block these calls, would be able to somehow flag these calls. Technology is a miraculous thing, and telephone companies don't seem to be doing it. And meanwhile, my landline price has gone up twenty dollars in the last couple of years. Thanks, AT and T. I think I'm actually going to switch to one of the what is it, UMA or one of those? That's a voice over IP phone company. Nonetheless, a complete distraction because the telemarketer calling and I left the speakerphone on, but still. The number of people I talk to on a daily basis who now have their cell phones being ambushed every day by these telemarketers, you would think that some phone company would make it a winning, winning program that, hey, you come to us, we block these calls. Google Voice apparently can block the phone calls. It, it, for the life of me, I don't understand why Verizon and AT&T can't. Um, it, it seems like they're not completely invested in customer satisfaction, which is a problem. It's 55 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800 WSB Talk. I've had several people actually text me, email me, and direct message me on Twitter during the break suggesting various apps for my cell phone that can block calls. And I've got one, and it catches some, but it seems like they're getting better and better about getting around those. Okay, I, I want to go to where I was before I was rudely interrupted by the telemarketer. Uh, and play this audio clip from Marco Rubio, kind of explaining how the media has been misleading on the president's $5 billion, what's actually in the president's package. And if I would do anything different for the president last night, what I would have done is I would have made it very clear to people, the $5 billion is not just for a wall. It is $5 billion is the cost of funding the top 10 projects in a broader border security plan that was designed by the people whose job it is to secure our border. And he, he did say that this was designed by the people who were hired to secure our border. But the $5 billion is not just to throw it out there to waste money. It is, it is what it costs to fund the top 10 projects in a much broader program. It'll take multiple years. We'll have to come back and do more of this. It is not an unreasonable request. It is clear to me that the Democrats are objecting to it because they believe that if they can get the president to cave, it guts him, it, 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 he implodes among his base, and he, it makes it easier to beat him in 2020. And that's where we're at this point. That's exactly right. It's political calculus from the Democrats. And, you know, I agree with him. The president, I think, should have made it better, uh, more clear in his speech. The five billion dollars isn't just for the wall. It's for all these other priorities as well. But the media has really been obfuscating on this as well. I mean, the, the I, I've gotten the briefing papers from the White House. They're the ones the media gets, and they break down the money very succinctly as to how much is going to be spent for judges, how much is going to be spent for new beds in the uh, asylum facilities, how much is going to be spent on new asylum facilities, how much on Border Patrol agents, how much on ICE agents, uh, and how much on the wall, and how much wall is going to be built. And now, of course, steel slats, the president says. Finally, as part of an overall approach to border security, law enforcement professionals have requested $5.7 billion for a physical barrier. At the request of Democrats, it will be a steel barrier rather than a concrete wall. This barrier is absolutely critical to border security. Yeah, I, that gets to Rubio's point that Border Patrol agents, Customs, ICE agents, Homeland Security, they're the ones who came up with this plan. And it was not a partisan plan when Barack Obama was on board with expanding the wall. It was not a partisan plan when Bill Clinton and George Bush were. It only is partisan with Donald Trump 
because the Democrats believe his base is racist, committed to keeping immigrants out, and that if they can just expose him as a fraud, these people will, will beat him. It really is a sad thing that Democrats are so committed to the idea that people who supported Donald Trump are racist. Do you know, as a matter of fact, a significant portion of, Bar- of Donald Trump's voters voted for Barack Obama? And the Democrats hate these people so much. Is it any wonder that they're sticking with Donald Trump? They, they've got nowhere else to go. The Democrats have provided them no other alternative. I mean, you, you've got the media today. Uh, Bob Costa at the, at the Washington Post is attacking my friend Russ vote as some sort of anti-Muslim bigot when it was actually the Democrats in Congress applying a religious test to Russ Vogt's confirmation at OMB because he's an avowed Christian. And the media is attacking the Christians as opposed to the Democrats for doing a religious test. The hypocrisy knows no bounds, and the media continues to fail us. It's nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. Welcome. The phone number, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. I want to talk tonight about what I didn't have time to talk about last night. And those of you who are on hold, be patient. I will get to your phone calls. But we got to talk about the Georgia Republicans and what they need to do because I sense some panic. Uh, and I sent some of that panic with the Speaker of the House, David Ralston. I, we're not exactly fans of each other. Uh, I think that Ralston oftentimes sells out conservatives. Well, now he's got a new excuse for doing so, and that is that he's got to save the Metro Atlanta Republicans. Got to save the Metro Atlanta Republicans. So uh, Matt Gertler from North Georgia, who is a um, proponent of allowing people to carry concealed weapon without having to go through the permitting process and paying for permits. Uh, The speaker indicating he may block that because it may be a difficult vote in the metro Atlanta area for some of these Republicans. There's also the issue of what to do with health care in the state of Georgia. And are they going to expand Obamacare in the state of Georgia? And there are some hints that some Republican leaders in the House want to expand Obamacare in the state of Georgia. The Speaker also apparently wants to kill the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, of which we have a federal law, but the Supreme Court has said states have to pass their own individual laws. More than a third of states have passed RIFRA. Georgia has not. It passed it once. Governor Deal said he would sign it, then he vetoed it. Now David Ralston says he's inclined to kill it. Time and time again. Okay, so I I got a question. I, I, I Really, I've got a question. Why don't we get a new speaker? Why don't we? It seems very clear that the speaker views his job as protecting the Republicans from themselves. Rural Georgia just handed Brian Kemp a conservative win. The Republicans kept their majority. They won all statewide offices. And yet, oh, we can't do this because the people of Atlanta, they may not like us. It seems like the, the, the bulk of the people who were championing David Ralston for speaker lost. So why don't we try our hand at a new speaker who might actually allow the Republicans 
to pass the things Republicans campaign on passing. I mean, you know, the reality here is we're all probably to a degree being played and that there are a lot of Republicans who go out and, and they say they support X, Y, and Z, and they really don't, and, and they hide behind the speaker and know the speaker's going to kill this stuff. So I'm sure he's probably very safe with these people who are, are so two-faced. But at the same time, Republicans have been campaigning on passing Riffer for a very long time. Nathan Deal himself said he would sign it before he betrayed voters, and his excuse was they added into it more than should have been added. Well, if they pass a clean Riffra that models the language of the federal government without any of the additions conservatives wanted in the past. Brian Kemp said he would sign it. Jeff Duncan says he supports it. And now suddenly the speaker, oh, no, I don't know about that. we, we got to be liked in the suburbs. Republicans in Georgia are going to play the game Republicans nationwide are confronting right now, where they are so scared of their shadow in urban and suburban areas that they betray their voters who turn on them and go off in the direction of Donald Trump. That's exactly what happened to the Republicans at the national level. They got so betrayed by Republicans who were promising things like repealing Obamacare to their suburban voters and whatnot, or to their, their rural voters, and then betraying them because, oh, we've got to be liked by the urban-suburban voters, that everybody wound up hating them. And they got voted out of office. And ultimately, Donald Trump came along and took over the party. That's what's going to happen with the Georgia Republican Party because they make all of these promises, and then you have guys like David Ralston saying, over my dead body is this stuff going to pass. At some point, the Republicans in the House have to be held to account for the Speaker blocking conservative legislation they all campaign on saying they support. If they can't have their speaker pass stuff like RIFRA when they all say they support it, well, then they all need to be voted out of the House and let the Democrats take over then because they're behaving like the Democrats. Might as well have some truth in, in governance here. It's ridiculous. Now, so here's the thing with the conservative losses in the suburbs in Georgia. Do you know they were outworked by the Democrats? The fact of the matter is the Republicans in Georgia got lazy. They got lazy, and they relied on outside groups to do door-knocking. They knew that the Kemp strategy was to focus on boosting the numbers in rural Georgia, and he did that, and he got elected. But the Republican Party in Georgia, and it's, it's not a fault of the leadership. It's just a, a general fault of county parties, the state, the politicians, all of them together. They relied on outside nationwide groups to come in and do their paid door-knocking and talking to voters. They were outworked, outmaneuvered, and outgunned by Democrats in the suburban areas. And a lot of it has to do with Donald Trump. It does not have to do with Republicans in Georgia. And that's the thing that a lot of these people don't understand. And we just need to accept the fact that a lot of women in suburban Georgia and a lot of men in suburban Georgia have been turned off by the president. And anyone who was any way affiliated with in the shadow of the president, including Brian Kemp, got hurt. Because they wanted Democrats to hold the president accountable. They wanted to voice their strong objections to the president. It hurt Republicans in suburban Georgia. For the speaker and Republicans in the state of Georgia to run around and say, oh, no, we got to be reliable. we got to be loved. Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot in 2020. He's going to be on the ballot in Georgia. The way they need to work in Georgia is secure their Republican base who is perfectly willing to turn their backs on these people for betraying them repeatedly, just as Republicans nationwide turn their backs on Republicans. But more important than that, 
They need to actually invest in a ground game strategy of door knockers. They need to invest in a ground game strategy of finding competent people to run in these areas. They need to invest in a strategy of going door to door, identifying voters and build relationships with the actual voters on the ground. And they're not doing that. Instead, they're pooping their britches in the state legislature. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? They don't like us anymore. You know what? You can win the suburbs all you want, but if you really make your Republican voters in the rural area mad, guess what? They may not turn out. And that could impact the president's reelection as well. I mean, it is always about metro. The Republicans in Georgia do a really good game of saying, we got to work on rural areas in the state. But when it comes to actually passing legislation, oh, we got to be loved by the liberals in the suburbs. DeKalb County doesn't like us. We got to be liked. We got to be liked. It's all about we got to be liked. We got to be liked. You know what? Instead of being liked by people who don't like you, why don't you shore up the support of the people who do and who will write you checks and be your volunteers and go door to door? And time and time and time again, Republicans in Georgia don't see how to do that. They use conservatives, they use rural voters, they use suburban Republican voters to get them reelected, and then they give them the middle finger while they go off and try to court DeKalb County voters who wouldn't pee on them if they were on fire. You know, when I do a sponsorship ad for the podcast, they send me a script that I can read from. I don't have to even read that script for Quip. Quip is my electric toothbrush, and it has been for over two years, and I love it. I ordered it myself uh, well before they were a sponsor of this or even my radio show because I kept seeing the ads on Instagram, and I was looking for a good electric toothbrush. And so many electric toothbrushes, if you buy them, the, the toothbrush heads are so big, you can't get them to the back of your mouth to brush, and they come with a big recharger you got to carry with you. The Quip does not have either of those problems. It is designed by designers with dentists, and it shows. It fits in your mouth comfortably. And it works on a AAA battery, so you don't have to carry a big charger with you. And there's a subscription brush head. So when your brush head wears out for just five bucks every three months, you get a new brush head and it comes in an envelope that has a new battery in it. So you just see, keep the cycle going. It is fantastic. It is accepted by the American Dental Association. In fact, it's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the ADA. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals. My own dentist has commented to me how good my teeth have looked over the last couple of years. I've been going through uh, one of those Invisalign braces processes as well and quip makes it easy and great to get a good good clean teeth so now quip starts at 25 dollars. if you go to getquip.com slash eric e-r-i-c-k right now you get your first refill pack for free at getquip.com slash eric it is free your first refill pack so go to getquip.com slash eric that's getquip.com slash eric It is 25 after the hour. Eric Erickson here. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Let's go back to the phones. Mark in Sharpsburg, welcome. Hey, Eric. Uh, why not tie a path for citizenship to the completion of the wall instead of trying to fight for the funding of the wall? It's not a bad idea. Um, the problem, I think, would be that even the the president's team 
doesn't think we need a complete wall from from coast to coast. Uh, there are some areas where it's just not feasible. And so the defining of what it is, and of course, you know, if it didn't happen, you could get a, what we had in the past, remember, with George W. Bush is he certified the border was secure even when it wasn't. Uh, and then Barack Obama tried that as well to get a deal like this. So you'd have a, a president who signs a certification that uh, the wall is built and it's not actually built. And congressional Democrats say, okay, time to give them citizenship. Who would actually complain that? That uh, mendacious politicians, you just can't trust them. That's the problem. Uh, Marianne from Covington, welcome to the program. Hi, Eric. I was wondering why we don't just go ahead and make it where the people that are Trump people, conservative people, <clears throat> Americans all around, go in and help the churches with the food stamp issues, funding, and if you're on food stamps, you can bring your food stamp card, and they'll help you with your groceries to shut down. Look. I think that churches in particular need to step up uh, and help. Uh, one of my big pet peeves these days is how much local churches have uh, offloaded uh, charitable endeavors to the federal government, even among church members. I mean, I, I am aware of churches that just really, they're not very charitable. And that's a problem. And I would hope that with TSA agents and others who potentially may not get checks, they've all gotten paychecks through this week, by the way. Um, they may start running into problems this week that local churches and, and local Christian charitable organizations would step up and help. Uh, yeah, take care of the, the city in which you're in exile because there you'll find your welfare. I really, really think that the Christian church in America needs to engage more, not the social social gospel churches, but the actual Orthodox Christian churches need to engage more in charitable efforts. Some of them do. Some of them do a great job. But there are a lot, I think, that could probably do better in their local community instead of just sending missionaries abroad and, and beach trips for their kids. That's a pet peeve of mine. When we come back, more of your calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. It's 39 after the hour. It is Eric Erickson. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. To the phones, we go right now to David in Conyers. Thanks for waiting patiently. Hey, Eric. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Hey, just real quick. On my roughly 35-year political uh, perspective, I don't think it's really going to matter if the, if the Republicans get back in control because historically... In my opinion, they do nothing. They either do nothing while they're in office, look at the last two years we've had, or they simply roll back something that the Democrats have passed. I cannot think of one real gain that I would call a conservative gain or a conservative victory. It is just they, they slow down the march toward the left. Well, you know, conservatism is not, in my mind, stopping everything. It is certainly slowing things down. Uh, but don't forget that uh, when the the last oh what was it called uh, reckon was it the the spending issue with Barack Obama it was actually real cuts it was the first time Congress had made real cuts in existing and future spending 
in decades, and it was it, that was a huge conservative win. Uh, they've also done a very good job at the executive level of, of eradicating regulations, and Congress itself very, very aggressively, once Donald Trump got elected, rolling back Barack Obama regulations. Those were huge conservative wins as well. I will tell you, though, David, to your point, my buddy uh, Dan McLaughlin, who goes by Baseball Crank on Twitter, just put up on, on Twitter, which I find very funny, he tweeted, if Republicans end the shutdown with a budget deal that doesn't fund a border wall, It'll be the first time in a very long time congressional Republicans successfully defunded anything. <laughs> it's a it's a fair point. Uh, was, was it rescissions? Um, I can't remember the name of it now. I'm sorry. I'm having one of those moments. Um, but the Republican spending cuts in place that they forced Barack Obama to agree to in their big government shutdown in 2013 were actually real substantive cuts. They were not just cuts in the rate of future growth. They were cuts in the rate of present growth. That was a huge conservative win, I think. Uh, There are a lot of people out there who say, what good has conservatism done? As if, oh, well, we don't like X, Y, and Z, therefore it's bad. Uh, But at the same time, conservatism is a philosophy about go slow and steady. And a lot of what conservatism has done is things that haven't gotten passed. It's real hard to take credit for things that haven't gotten passed and look at all this legislation we didn't pass. Um, but look at what happened when Barack Obama and the Democrats were able to control Congress for two years and the rush to get things done, including Obamacare. Now, once it was done, were Republicans able to repeal it? They campaigned a lot on it, but they weren't able to do it. But the Democrats had to have a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate in order to get it done. Or look at the regulatory rollback that Republicans in Congress actually passed legislation to roll back regulations. And the beauty of their regulatory rollback in Congress is that the way they structured it now, these regulatory agencies, when the next Democratic president comes in, will not be able to pass the same sorts of regulations. That in and of itself is a huge conservative win. Uh, yeah, I, I get really frustrated by people because it's really trite these days, particularly among some of President Obama or President Trump supporters, to say uh, what good is conservatism anyway? It hasn't done anything. Actually, uh, conservatism has done a lot to conserve, and no one ever wants to give it credit for the things that don't get advanced. But that's the point of conservatism. A lot of things that don't get advanced that otherwise would get advanced. We're not going to wave the flag and champion the passage of something that doesn't get passed. We're championing the passage of or the, the, the lack of passage of things. And that doesn't get credit, it doesn't get eyeballs, it doesn't get attention, but there's a lot of bad stuff that gets blocked because of conservatism. Back to the phones we go. Mike and Cornelia, welcome. Yeah, Eric, good talking to you. You too. Uh, Yeah, I was wondering if you could explain a little bit why uh, Donald Trump and the the Republicans are letting the Democrats set the narrative on this saying that he's holding everybody hostage when they're the ones that refuse to negotiate part of me honestly thinks it's that they know the media isn't going to help them so why bother um i mean look at the the just antagonism from supposed media fact checkers last night uh ridiculously fact checking the president's statements including getting a lot of the facts wrong themselves Uh, I don't know that the president thinks it's it's worth his time to do that. Um, The president understands that the Democrats right now are popular with a good portion of the American public. The president is focused on his base, and the base already doesn't believe the media. So why waste time with the media? Why should the president try to get Jim Acosta 
to talk about the Democrats being hostage takers and not him when Acosta's not going to do it. It's a waste of time. Uh, I just, uh, but I, I, frankly, I think the president ought to embrace it and just say, yes, I'm keeping this thing shut down until I get what I want. That's what I would do. John in Atlanta, you're next. Welcome. Yeah. Hey, Eric. Um, want to tell you, I really enjoy your show. I, you. you always have such great insight on a number of things about uh, local politics. Uh, but I, I do have to take issue with something that you said earlier about uh, the state uh, Republican representatives uh, being lazy in the past uh, election. Um, I worked on the ground crew uh, of one of those uh, Atlanta area Republican uh, candidates, and we worked our butts off. And there were a lot of other uh, candidates that I was talking to. They were working their butt off, butts off, too. So. Yeah, and John, let me clarify here. I, I'm not saying they're lazy. Uh, what I said is that at the state level, they made the decision to outsource the professional paid door knockers to the Republican National Committee and the Republican Governors Association. And those groups wound up not actually doing what they said they were going to do. Uh, and no. so it, where I think you're hearing lazy is, is me saying they need to put in the effort. And, and I don't mean that to mean they're lazy. I mean, they're going to have to come up with a way to do this themselves instead of getting stabbed in the back again by these national groups that promised to do it and never did. Agreed. We, we had we had money um, you know, that we were we raised all of our money. We got very little money from either the state or the national mm -hmm. uh, Republican organizations. Um, and it was a dogfight. We knew that uh, there was going to be a lot of headwinds from the Stacey Abrams down ballot voting. Right. Uh, that was really going to take you know its toll, and it did. I mean, you know, we lost 14 Republican seats in the Atlanta metropolitan area. Yeah, and you know, it it really it just it makes me so mad to know because I've talked to so many people, including uh, a couple of the congressional candidates, who were told. Don't worry about bringing in paid door knockers. The national party's got it. And yeah. it was only in the last minute that they said, oh, hey, by the way, the national party's not actually going to do this. And that really could have made a difference in some of these races. I agree with you. And, you know, Brian Kemp, you know, I, he was non-existent in the city of Atlanta as far as I was concerned. And, yeah, he, uh, was, he was. And I've heard a couple of people who are critical of him, but I, I think the strategy worked for getting him elected. It just yeah, the Republicans in the state needed to do a better job of, of not relying on these national groups that so often make these promises and don't actually deliver on the promises. And I think lesson learned now. But I, I would not look at the failure in the suburbs of saying, oh, they hate us now. That the, the suburban voters, they certainly didn't like the president. That's going to be an impact in 2020. But more importantly, they need to do their own thing instead of relying on these outside groups. I think that's going to make a really big difference when we get into 2020. And, you know, of course, more resources are going to be poured into 2020 in Georgia from the president's campaign and from others. Uh, but that's not to say the GOP in Georgia needs its own plan to do its own door-to-door -door with paid people, not just volunteers. It is 56 after the hour. Uh, we have a problem. I am being told that something the president is considering doing is declaring a state of emergency, saying he's going to spend money to build the wall, and then open up the government as a way to get over the shutdown fight and then allow the courts to kill the emergency declaration. Uh, I hope that doesn't happen. I guess I'm going to have to be writing about this. Um 
the president doesn't need to do a state of emergency. And frankly, I think it's a dangerous game if he does, because he'll be helping establish the president for precedent for future liberal presidents who want to do the same thing on climate change. Uh, this is not a wise decision. I'll keep you guys posted overnight.